up here and help you, I hope. Yeah, Chuck needs help. He's not, he's kind of technically challenged a little bit, yeah. So while they're doing that, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. You can watch them and we'll pray, whatever you want to do. So I know that's really tempting to want to watch them. So God, we come to you now and we, we pray, God, right now that you would just stir in our hearts, Lord. Father, we pray that, um, Lord, that, so I'm just wondering right now if you would pray. Don't just listen to me pray. So God, I ask you to speak to my heart right at the point of my need, right where I need to hear from you today, God. So, Lord, we're praying that your Holy Spirit would move, open our spiritual ears and eyes. God, we pray that this will not be just a time where we talk about Scripture, but it will be a spiritual time of renewal and revival, oh God. So, Lord, we thank you for this time. We consecrate it. We give it over to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, it's expensive to live in this world you live in. I was just looking at some statistics. I don't know if you can see this from where you're seated. Maybe if you look at the big screen. But down at the very bottom, this is the annual American household. This is how much we spend on average in America. And it comes down to $61,000 a year. That's breaking down just pretty much all, you know, housing, transportation, insurance, healthcare, groceries, restaurant, other meals, entertainment, other cash, contributions, clothes, education, personal care, all just kind of the basics of life. So, I mean, it's, it's like for us in this world that we live in, there's a need for us to have money. And I know that whenever you go to church and the preacher starts talking about money for many people, man, that just, they check out right there. Because we, for, for many Christians in America, we have a division between faith and finances. Now, if you don't go to church and talk about faith, that's fine. But you start talking about finances, no, I separate the two. That's my money. I earn it. And I want to do what I, I mean, I, you know, I got to have this money and so let me just go ahead and tell you right now, I'm not going to be hammering you about tithing this morning, okay? And you know, something else that you've got to understand also it's, is that, it, you know, my salary here is fixed. It doesn't matter how much, you know, people give or don't give, it, it doesn't change any. I know that in some churches, you know, whatever the offering comes in, that's how much the pastor makes. That isn't what's true here today. And matter of fact, this isn't even primarily going to be about you giving to the church. What I want to talk to you about today really is about greed. And the interesting thing about greed that in our American Christianity is that we, we understand that greed is a grievous sin. And you, you, I mean, like now in secular world, you know, they believe that greed is good. But for us that, that take a biblical standpoint, we understand that greed is very dangerous and bad. However, here's what you have to understand. Most Christians believe that they don't have a problem with greed. So if you're sitting here right now and you're like, yeah, I'm most Christians and I don't have a problem with greed. Now I'm praying the Holy Spirit's going to open your eyes this morning. And you might be surprised to find out that we all have a problem with greed. You parents, especially parents of teenagers and small children. Do you ever see your children? I mean, just, just take some siblings and put, like, their favorite dessert out in front of them and give each one of them a spoon and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, it is ugly. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. Now, 
when we talk about having wealth, or let's just say rich, what do you think about when I say rich? What do you think rich is? And I would tell you that for most of us, being rich is relative. It's, it's kind of like being old or young. You know, I've always heard that we, within the 10-year span, anybody that's 10 years older, older than me, I think they're old, and anybody 10 years younger than me and younger, that's young. I mean, back when I was in my 20s, 50 was old. Now 50's not old. <laughs> so, it's all, so here's the thing is that, so we think rich is always more than we have, and we always think of poor as less than what we have. That's usually the way we look. It's relative to us. Look at this. By world standards, I want to share something with you this morning because this is important for us to look at in the text. By world standards, if your household earns more than $25,000 per year, then you're in the top 2% earners in the world. So that means 98% of the world is going to look at you and say, you are rich. Perspective. If your household earns 33000 and above, you're in the top 1%. If your household earns $100,000 or above, you're in the top 0.08%. So let's talk about greed for a moment. I always want to get a definition. An intense, so greed's an intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. So let's go to the great theologian Albert Einstein. Here's what he said. Three great forces rule the world, stupidity, fear, and greed. And I would say that there's three great forces that rule American culture during an election year, stupidity, fear, and greed. That's what I would say anyway. So when we talk about, we talk about greed, really at the basis of greed is going to be selfishness, it's going to be fear, and it's going to be pride. Those are going to be three things right there that I'm struggling with when we have greed. We're thinking about, okay, I'm concerned that I'm not going to have enough for the future. How many of you right now, you're sitting in here and you're concerned about the future? If you've been watching the news and you're probably concerned about the future here in the United States of America. Well, let me just tell you something. To just, let's, when we come to church, we need to reframe our faith, Right? Our government is not in control. Ultimately, God is in control. And if our economy collapses, it's not because God is mad at us. Let me just say that. It may be that God is going to refine us and is going to allow our economy to collapse. Oh, I could go way off on this one. We'll leave that rabbit alone for another day. But let me just tell you right now, if you're fearful, you just got to understand this. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. The number one command in the Bible is fear not. So, look at this. Exodus chapter 16, verses 19 through 20. This is whenever the nation of Israel is going through the wilderness wandering, and God provides for them manna, this food. Every morning they wake up, there's manna out there. It's like dew on the ground. And, and the, the instruction is this. Gather just enough for today, and tomorrow there will be more manna. Now, do you, you, you know the Lord's Prayer? The model prayer, give, this our, this, give us this day our daily bread. So just for the day, not to tomorrow, because God is wanting, why would God do this? Because God is wanting them to learn something that you and I need to know as well. Is that God wants us to depend on him every day. Lord, I need thee every hour, I need thee. Not that, listen, see, here's the problem with wealth, is that in wealth, 
I start depending on my bank account instead of God. I start depending on my job instead of God. I start depending on other things other than God, and that's what gets me in trouble. So here what happened. Moses said to them, he instructed them, no one, listen, no one is to let any of it, the manna, remain until the morning. Don't have any for tomorrow. Eat it all or throw it away. Tomorrow there'll be more manna. So you know what happens. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. So let's go to Jesus. So as Jesus was walking, he was sitting out, he was walking along on a journey. A man ran up to him, knelt down before him, and asked, asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Very interesting question. He doesn't say what to, what to be saved. I mean, there's people in the Bible that talk about being saved. He says to inherit eternal life because this is a Jewish young man coming up to Jesus. And the Hebraic worldview, they understood that eternal life, that it, was, that it was something that they inherited, that it was theirs by right because they were Jewish. They were God's chosen people, all right? So he's saying, you know what? You know, he's just going to make sure that I'm not going to get kicked out, that I'm going to be in with the rest of the Jews whenever we inherit the world to come. So, and once again, whole another sermon for another day. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. So Jesus is going to take him to the heart. Because let me tell you something, folks, listen. The heart's the problem. When it comes to greed, it's not a financial problem, it's a heart problem. There are greedy wealthy people and there are greedy poor people. Whatever, however you categorize that, greed, I mean, it goes across the line. Greed is a heart problem. All of our problems, essentially, are a heart problem. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Do you agree with that? I hope so, because that's what Jesus said. You know the commandments. Jesus is going to take him to the issue now. He's going to take him to the Ten Commandments. He's going to, he's going to bring out about five or six of them that have to do with relational commandments. So the commandments where we relate to one another. So some of the commandments are how we relate to God. Some of them are how we relate to one another. He just focuses on the ones that are easy to look at, to say, okay, did I, did I really did I follow this commandment? So then he says... You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. Man, he said to him, teacher, is excited. I've kept all these from my youth. I got this. Looking at him, Jesus didn't rebuke him, didn't straighten him out, didn't say, no, you didn't. He looked at him and he loved him. And he said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have. And notice he doesn't say, come give it to me. He didn't say, Judas Iscariot's right over there. He takes care of the money you give him. No, he said, go give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then, after you've done that, then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand. And he went away grieving because, here's why, he had many possessions. So it'd be like if someone, let's say that the first man, he's got $1 million in money and assets. Okay, He can liquidate all of his assets. He has $1 million. He goes to a church and he says, I want to join the church. And the church says, okay, take all of your, everything you got, all your money, all your assets, liquidate them, and go give that to you know, foreign missions to the poor, not to our church, just go give it. And then after you've given it all away, then you can come be our church member, a member of our church. Then the second man comes, and the second man has $10, a $10 bill. 
and the clothes on his back, and that's all he's got. And they tell him, go take that $10 and give it to the poor, then come join our church. Which one's going to have more of a problem? Which one's going to be easier? See, now listen, now listen, once again, I'm fixing to step on some toes here, and my intention, once again, is not to make you feel guilty, but listen, I've heard this my whole life in church. I don't make enough money to tithe. Let me tell you something. It's a whole lot easier to tithe off $10 than it is off a million dollars. And when you, if you're sitting here this morning and you're falling into that lie and you're saying, oh, man, you know, I would give. I'd be more generous if I had more. I want to tell you something. No, you wouldn't. I just, man, I'm going to be honest with you. No, if, if you're not generous with what you've got right now, when you get more, listen, more doesn't make you better. More, here's what more does. More takes what you've got and it exacerbates it. It's like the couple. It's like the young woman that thinks, okay, if I get married, it's going to solve all of my problems. And you know, listen, you that have been married for five years or more, you know it doesn't solve all your problems. It magnifies your problems. And listen, here's the thing. Some of you right now, you have got money problems, and you think, oh, well, you know, man, David, I'd like to give that a try. I would like to be wealthy. I would like to have too much money. Well, listen, the Bible has got a very clear warning for you this morning that that would not solve your problems. The Bible is going to make it very clear to you that that would, in fact, magnify your problems. The problems you have, it won't cure them. It would just magnify them. So, look at this. this. This dude walks away, sad. Look at this now, Mark 2, 5, 17. While he was reclining, Jesus was reclining at the table in Levi's house. This is Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who were following. Who's following him? The tax collectors and the sinners, the down and out, the ones that are poor. Oh, man, so the scribes and the Pharisees, the wealthy, rich, religious, up in the, the people that are in the in circle, they're, they're, listen, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he associating with the down and out? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need, that's a key word, who need a doctor, but those who are sick, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. So who has the easiest, listen, to follow Jesus, who is having an easier road to following him? Is it the poor, the ones who have nothing, or is it? The rich young ruler, man, he walked away sad. Why did Jesus want him to give up everything? Was it wrong for him to be rich? Was it sinful for him to be rich? No. It was because his wealth, his status was his God. It was his identity, and he could not give that up to follow Jesus. There isn't anything wrong with enjoying your stuff. There's something wrong with worshiping your stuff. So here we go. Here's our text, James 1, 9 through 12. Here's what James says. Let the brother of Tapanos. Now, 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 Tapanos right here, this is an interesting Greek word because it says of humble circumstance, which is a good translation. But whenever the, the Greek word here, Tapanos, what it means is it means the person who has lost everything. The person who had some money, but now they've lost it all. They have nothing left. 
So let the brother uh, that's lost it all boast in his exaltation. And then we're going to read the next verse. We'll break it down. But let the rich. So now we're going to, he's going to give us a parallel here. He's going to, we're going to look at the, the poor and now the wealthy. But look at this. He says, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. You do realize that everything in this world is temporary, right? That, I mean, it's, it's fading away. Melissa and I, we go on walks every day, and on our walks, there's these beautiful flowers that grow up this time of the year. And we don't even know what they are, but, man, they're beautiful. We'll stop, and we admire them. They're beautiful. And here's the thing. This past week, these dudes came mowing the county ditches, and guess what they did, man? They mowed right through those suckers. I mean, they just, we went, we walked up the next day, and Melissa was like, oh, no. And they're just spat everywhere, just, well, I mean, just bush hog. You know what I mean? And I thought, man, then I was, I was studying this text, and that is life in this world. Listen, the thing, you know, you, I hope you can hear me this morning. The thing that you look at in this world and you say, oh, that is so beautiful, I would say, and it is so temporary. That person, your beauty, it is so temporary. So here's what, I look, here's what I see in these two verses. Christ right here has this amazing way of bringing everybody to level ground. The gospel brings everybody to level ground. Matter of fact, I, love, I believe it's Billy Graham that said, all the ground beneath the cross is level. So for the wealthy person right here, James is saying, man, it takes humility for you to come in Christ. And for the poor, they see this as an exaltation. So see, they had rich Jewish people that for them to Follow and say, okay, this poor carpenter from Nazareth is the son of God? He is God? That was humbling for them. Okay, I'm going to fall under his authority? They had to humble themselves. It's worth for the poor people. Hey, man, it's all win-win the way they saw it. Now, see, you know, this far on the other side, you know that actually for everybody, it's an exaltation to be seated in Christ Jesus in the heavenlies. You know that, right? But for them, James was writing to them and said that they saw that they had to humble themselves. There's this humility there. Now, is there some humility in us coming to Christ? When I confess that I'm a sinner, there absolutely is. I have to humble myself to come under his authority and say, hey, I have sinned. I, Lord, I need, there's no way I can't work my way to heaven. I can't be good enough to earn heaven. It's all on the good merit of Jesus and not about me being a good person. So, there's this interesting book that, that was written back in the 1600s. And if, if, you wanna, if you like reading theologians of old, this is really, this is a guy who was a Puritan pastor. If you want a great devotional book and you like reading the saints of old, this is a great one for you right here. It's called Keeping the Heart. It's by John, I'm going to say Flavel right here. I don't know how he pronounced it. He's in heaven now, so he'll forgive me if I mispronounce his last name. I'm just going to say Flavel. Sounds good to me. We're in East Texas, right? So here's what he said. So he writes in his book, he has 12 instances where a, a person needs special diligence for their heart, okay? So he talks about whenever you fall into temptation. He talks about whenever you get sick. He talks about whenever you're near death. He names off all of these terrible situations that we face in life. The number one occasion, he says, that we need to be diligent, special diligence for our heart. Look at this. He says, it's prosperity. Let me just read this little section. Read, read along with you. When providence smiles upon us, 
and dandles us upon its knee. We don't use that word, dandle. You can Google that. It means bounce them on the knee. Now, Christian, keep thy heart with all diligence. For now it will be exceedingly apt to grow secure, proud, and earthly. We'd say worldly. Bernard, so he's going to quote another guy over here. Here's what he said. To see a man humble under prosperity is one of the greatest rarities in the world. Well, that's true right there, isn't it? Oh, man, I cannot think of the coach's name. He was, a, he was an NBA coach. He's in the Hall of Fame. He coached the Lakers and the New York Knicks. Thank you, Pat Riley. Here's, he wrote a book, and here's what he talked about prosperity. He said the reason that a team can win a championship one year and it's so hard for them to win the second year after that is because, he said, because prosperity ruins them. He said now, he said, before the goal was for us to win a championship, he said everybody's on the team is working together, and said the one thing we're looking for is winning the championship. He said then when they win the championship, he said the next season, they all become entitled. Now it's not about winning a championship. It's about me getting the plays I want, me getting the media attention I get. He said the next year, that chemistry that brought them all together that was wonderful is now toxic. They're throwing Gatorade bottles and yelling at each other because of their success. So you listen, you think prosperity is easy? Listen, folks, you are living in the most prosperous culture in world history. And let me just remind you once again, go back and study world history. All world powers lasted around 200 years. I'll leave it at that. So, Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, he gives him this advice, and he says, but those who want to be rich. If, listen, if Paul was writing to us today, he would say, those who, the, who are apt to get into get-rich-quick schemes, how many... Have you even known somebody that's lost all their money? Maybe you have in a, in a get-rich-quick scheme. He said, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Does it say that money is the root of all kinds of evil? No, you heard us in church over and over. Let me just say it again. It's the love of money. Money's not bad. Money's an inanimate object. It's what I make of it. I can make it evil. It can be used for good. It's just like the Internet. The Internet's not bad. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many Greece. And then he goes on, just jumping down to verse 17, and he says this, instruct those who are rich in this present age. So here's what he would be saying to us today in American culture. He would say, instruct those people who are making more than $25,000 a year. Not to be arrogant or to set their hope in the uncertainty of wealth. Oh my goodness, some of you have been in church your whole life, and you've heard the other preachers, and you've heard me say, listen, nothing is certain. Everything can change today. And we've seen that. 2020 has proven that to be true. Let me, let me say something. Some of you are here this morning, and you're upset because things were getting better, and now they seem to be getting worse. If you were here a few months ago, I told you that there's some people, some Christians that I highly respect, and they said, 
that they were expecting that by the end of the year that it was going to be worse. So, see, in American culture, we are, we're used to when things get worse, hey, our smart politicians and leaders and everything rebound and we do better. But listen, nobody's smart enough to outsmart this one, okay? So can I prepare you for this? It may be true that things, I don't know if it's going to be COVID or our economy or whatever, things could get worse from here on out as far as the world you live in is concerned. It's uncertain. So, okay, so don't put your hope in this world. But on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy, so everything you got comes from God, your job, whatever you've got, your home, your family, your health, it's, you are a steward of it. It all belongs to God. And listen, God's not mad at you. It's not that God's angry with us and he's going to come yank the rug out from under us. I'm going to teach you a lesson now. That's not the God. God of the Bible is a God of love, a God of grace. And see, here's the ultimate thing in James, and here's the ultimate thing for you. The ultimate thing is the growth of your spiritual life, the maturity of you spiritually. That is the ultimate goal here. So has all this got out of God's control? No. God is still in control. Is God wanting to refine us and mature us? Absolutely yes. So James goes on. He says, for the sun rises, and together with a scorching wind, dries up the grass. Its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away, and this is interesting right here in the Greek, pretty much you could say he withers away while he goes his own way, while pursuing his activities. So here's what you have to understand. This world that you live in, your flesh, and your enemy, the devil, is like a scorching wind on your soul. Every single day, it's going to be trying to dry you up spiritually. Somebody could say amen right now. Y'all way too quiet. I don't know where y'all been, but y'all back in church, all right? <laughs> this world, you listen, it's all coming against your soul. And if you are not nourishing your soul daily, if you're not stirring your affections for Jesus daily, then here is what's going to happen. You are going to dry up spiritually. It's not going to be enough for you to come in here in church on Sunday morning and get everything you need for the scorching wind you'll face all throughout the rest of your week. So comfort for me, myself, and I right now to pray I mean, if you wake up every morning and you say, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to spend 10 minutes in prayer, that's going to take discipline on your part. Your flesh is not going to want to do it, okay? You're not going to, your flesh is not going to be happy with you waking it up extra early every morning to pray, to study your Bible, to, to whatever it may be, to worship, whatever it is that stirs your affections for Jesus, that takes discipline. Your flesh is not going to like it. But see, if whenever I do what's best for me, myself, and I right now, it always ends in the long run with pain, sorrow, disappointment in the future. I went to babysit my granddaughter this past week, and my son-in-law has got this big, comfortable recliner in his living room. And when she went to go take a nap, I got my computer out, and I was going to do some studying. I went and sat in his recliner. I leaned back, and I was like, oh, man. I was like, I need to go home and tell Melissa I need one of these. You know? 
I can just sit here and study right here in that recliner. But here's what I want to tell you. Let's just say that tomorrow, Melissa's like, yeah, David, you need one of those. Let's go get one. So tomorrow we went and we, went, we got one. And I sat there every day, all day long, and I studied and all that. And I didn't get out of that recliner. just got out to use the restroom and came back to that recliner. Six months from now, you'd see a different person standing in front of you. And, and eventually, it would have negative ramifications on every aspect of my life, physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. If I do what feels good all the time, then it isn't going to end good for me. Man, that goes across your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse. Man, hey, listen, some of you right now, you are angry with that person that you're married to or that person you're sitting next to or you got kids between y'all or whatever it may be. I don't know. But here's what I can tell you. If you always do what's best for you, you are going to end up unhappy. It takes sacrifice to have a happy marriage. It takes you setting yourself aside. And it takes two people. It's a two-way street. You can't do it all on your own either. Mercy me, oh my, we don't have enough time for that. It's another good rabbit. We got to let it go, okay? <laughs> all athletes discipline are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we discipline ourselves for an eternal prize. And then here's what Jesus says. Anytime Jesus says, beware, I'm going to pay attention to what Jesus is saying. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Money, power, food, whatever it may be. Selfish, I don't know. Life is not measured by how much you own. So here's what I want you to understand. You can't walk out of here. You can't get up right now and say, I'm going to go see who all is greedy and go walking through the parking lot and look at cars and go, man, look at that car right there. They have got to be greedy. And then you look at another car and be like, oh, man, that's a piece of junk. They're not greedy at all. You can't do that. It's not measured by what you have. It's measured by the affections of your heart. If my affections are set on my automobile, then yes, or my money, or my bank account, or whatever it may be, then yes, I'm going to be greedy. But if my affections are on Christ, if that's the number one affection above my wife, above my children, my grandchildren, whatever it may be, if my number one affection is on Christ, then that is going to be transforming my heart. So let me just go ahead and just, just open up the box and lay it out here before you right now. Do you want to know how you know if you're greedy? Here it is. How generous are you? That's your telltale sign right there. If you sit here this morning and you say, nah, I'm not greedy and all that kind of stuff, but you are not a generous person, then I'm going to have to break it to you. Then you're a greedy person. You can't be generous and greedy at the same time. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not to have a rich relationship with God. So that's, that's, I just got through talking about that. You know, listen, there's not anything wrong with you working hard at work. There's not anything wrong with you saving your money. There's not anything wrong with you making wise decisions with your money. All those things are good. But when those things become the ultimate thing, that's when it's wrong. It's okay to enjoy yourself, enjoy your job, whatever it may be, but it can't become the ultimate thing. Jesus is the only ultimate thing. Anything else, and I'm just going to tell you right now, it's going to mess you up. 
So here's where we land, we end it this morning. Blessed is the one who endures trials. Man, that word blessed messes us up. Like I talk about it all the time. If y'all hear me preach all the time, I know y'all are sick of hearing me say this, but y'all going to get even sicker because I don't talk about it all the time. Because we misunderstand blessed. You can be blessed and be unhappy. Did y'all hear me? You can be blessed and be unhappy at the same time. Blessed is not about your circumstances. Blessed is about, listen, your relationship. Blessed is about spiritual fulfillment and maturity. That's what blessed is. Blessed is whenever I can have trials and have an attitude of joy even though I'm unhappy. So blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Because see, now when we see crown of life, we think about a king wearing a big golden crown or a queen with jewels in it and everything like that. But you have to understand something. For them, a crown was an athlete. Whenever an athlete went in to a competition and the athlete won the competition, it would have a little wreath that would go, go around their head like, you know, and that was their crown. So whenever, they, whenever he says this, he says, look at this, okay, this isn't about you earning your salvation, okay? Receiving the crown of life is not about you enduring a test, and then you're going to get saved. As a result, you're saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. But he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who endure all their trials, who obey me every time, who are good people. No, listen, it comes down to the same thing we come down to every week, to those who love him. See, that's what it comes down to every single time. It's not about my performance. It's not about me being good or being bad or anything like that. It's about my love relationship with Jesus. That's, that, man, that is what it comes to every single time. So the crown of life, what is the crown of life? Jesus said, I come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So what is the crown of life? I will tell you this much. Eternal life is not just something you experience then and there. Eternal life is something you also experience here and now. See, I mean, it's like the abundant life is having the joy in the suffering. The abundant life is, is having joy even when I'm unhappy and when circumstances fall apart. That's, that's the crown of life that I get to enjoy right now. That's a result of spiritual maturity. I'm just going to fall back on, I know it's been like three weeks, y'all heard Parker preach, and y'all heard Jeff, not Parker, y'all heard uh, Jeff, and y'all heard Trey preach on Father's Day. I started to preach a Father's Day sermon, by the way, but just going to pass on it, but y'all heard, man, that's great preaching, so I know it's been a while since y'all heard me talk about James, but I want to remind you of something we talked about three weeks ago. How do I know whenever I'm spiritually maturing, and here's one of the telltale signs, is stability, instability is a sign of spiritual immaturity, and stability is a sign of spiritual maturity. How stable are you in your faith, in your attitude, in the way you treat the people around you? Those are the telltale signs right there. So here's my question for you this morning, is how can you revive your love for Jesus? If that's what it comes down to. See, because if I'm loving Jesus the way I should, then I'm going to be generous See, if I walk out here today and I say, well, David said, i got to be generous. So I'm just going to go out and start giving, giving stuff, giving stuff, giving stuff. And, give. and then here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be like, oh, I just gave everything away. Then I'm going to get fearful. 
Because I was doing it because I was thinking, okay, by being generous, I'm pleasing God. It's just like, listen, if you come to church and you say, man, I heard that preacher preach out of Malachi, and he said, man, you, God said, this is the only thing God said, test me on. He said, test me on this, bring the full tithe into God's house, and see if I don't open up the heavens, the, the windows of heaven, and rain down blessings on you. So I'm going to just start tithing and giving my money to God. Now listen, you know what's going to happen? Here's what's going to happen. Your heart is going to mess with you. If you're not doing it with the right heart, hey, listen, you might get blessed financially. I don't know. I can't sit here and say for a beyond a reasonable doubt and say, no, God won't bless you financially. You will suffer. You might be blessed financially. But here's what's going to happen. Your heart is going to mess with you. If I'm doing it with the right heart and the right motive, then whenever I'm giving, whether it's to God or to other people, or listen, you, some of you generous people, you know this. You have given to other people, and they have taken advantage of you. And there's where it comes down to. If you're doing it with a pure heart, then you can say, hey, that's between them and God. I just did what God wanted me to do. But if you get all mad about it, say, I'm never going to help anybody again, man. Everybody's sorry. Then that's your heart problem. Do you see that? So it all comes back to the motivation of my heart. If I'm loving God the way that I should, then my heart motivation is going to be right. And my heart motivation is right, then it doesn't matter what the outcome is here and now. Because I know the outcome then and there is going to be the right outcome. So the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. <laughs> Repent and do the works you did at first. So here's what I'll ask you to do right now. Would you remember, would you just take a moment right now and just remember? Remember a time in your life where you felt like you were closest to Jesus. Maybe you're drawing a blank right now. Well, I'll just say pray. Say, God, just pray. Lord, Holy Spirit, help me to remember a time when I was closest to you. Remember when I was in my early 20s, I was going to a little missionary Baptist church, and we had a revival. And, man, during that revival, we had prayer at the church the weeks leading up to it. We'd get together every night and have something called cottage prayer. That just means people get together and pray over the revival. Then when the revival got there, man, I was like reading a new book, that, reading a Christian book. I'd never done that before, The Pursuit of Holiness. I was reading that. And all throughout the day, I was excited about church. And I go to church. It was seven-night revival. And I go to church at night, and I will think, man, this is the best preacher I've ever heard. And looking back on it, he wasn't the best preacher I'd ever heard. But it was the first time in my life that my spirit was hearing, my soul was hearing from God. Because of all that prayer and all of that getting out of the world, cleared everything up to where I could hear from God. I've been a Christian since I was 11 years old, and I had never really got serious about my relationship with God. I had never really heard from God. I just went through the motions. Yeah, I was saved, but I never really studied my Bible. I never really prayed, and as a result, I never really heard from God. There was not a real love between us. So I'm asking you today, can you remember a time where you 
when you were really close? What were you doing at that time? Were you praying more? Were you reading your Bible more? See, I would say if you say yes to those, and I'll say you are stirring your affections for Jesus more. So repent and do the works you did at first. Can you do that today? We call that renewal, revival. I don't care whatever, you, whatever word you want to put on it. Is that something that you want today? You stand, let's pray a little bit before you leave out. So if you want renewal, then you've got to start right now by praying. You pray, not just you listening to me and saying, yeah, I agree with what David's saying, but it's you praying. So God, I want a renewal to take place in my heart today. I want to repent of how I've been spending my time, of how I've been spending my money, how I've been spending my affections, and turn them back to you. So restore, Holy Spirit, restore my union with the Father and with the Son today. You're the vine and I'm the branch. And my desire is to abide in you and you in me. You're the way, the truth, and the life. And today, I want my life to rest in you. So God, today, you are all powerful. You are sovereign. We look to you, God, as we look to our future. God, we know that you hold the future. We pray for our governmental leaders, our president, our senators, our governors, our county officials. God, we ask you to give them all wisdom. God, we just pray against the divisive spirit that's in our nation today. We know that does not come from you. So God, we pray for unity among our leaders. God, we pray for the truth to come to the surface. Because we know that when the truth comes to the surface, that fear is going to subside. So God, we pray for all of the people who are making the decisions concerning our culture and COVID. God, we pray that the truth of COVID-19 would come to the surface and that our leaders would make the right decisions that would glorify you. 
that would keep this nation on the right path. So, Lord, we need thee every hour. Would you say that to him? Would you pray that right now? So, God, change my heart. Bring transformation. So maybe you're listening this morning and you're like, God, you know, I have not been generous. So God, help me to be a good steward of everything that you placed in my care. Help me to stop fighting the fight that I don't need, that I wasn't created to fight. Help me to let go of the things I'm holding on to that I wasn't intended to hold on to. God, it's all yours. So help me this week by changing my heart. Starting now, starting tomorrow morning, I'm going to seek you early tomorrow morning. Would you say that? Can you say that to the Lord right here? Tomorrow morning, I want to seek you first. So here's what I want to invite you to do. So if you if you are struggling with fear, I want to invite you to take your Bible and look at Matthew chapter six and verse twenty-three through 34. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll wear, your clothes, your food. That's the part where he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. If you would just take that and read that every morning, and, and if you really want to be a real serious, memorize it. And I tell you what, that will be medicine for your soul and your heart. And those worries will subside as the truth of God's word begins to transform your heart. It's great to be back with you all this guy. We had a great two weeks off. Lots of fun with our family. So thankful to the elders for giving us this time off. For Jeff and Trey preaching while I was out. Man, they did an excellent job. So thankful for them. It's good to see you. I want you to know that you are prayed for every day. Everybody who attends this church is prayed for every day. Pray that the hedge of protection will be around you, that your affections be stirred for Jesus, for your spouse, for your children, for your calling. That's what's prayed over you every day. So I pray this week that you'll, you will have a blessed week because you are going to have one. Regardless of whether you like it or not, you're going to have a blessed week. I'm just hoping that you're going to recognize it, all right? Even in the pain, the sorrow, and the heartache, that you're going to recognize you're going to have a blessed week. So with all confidence, I say, God bless you. Hope to see you next weekend.